Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Here's the news for the week of January 18, 2015. About two months ago, right around Thanksgiving, the American Council of the Blind announced that it had received support from J.P. Morgan Chase to bring several individuals to its upcoming mid-year affiliate president's meeting and other related events in Arlington, Virginia. An application process was announced, and the deadline for applications was January 5. This week, Eric Bridges, ACB's Director of External Relations and Policy, notified the individuals who have won these stipends And we are excited and pleased to learn that Deb Lewis, President of the Kentucky Council of the Blind, and Teresa Thomas, Executive Director of the Bluegrass Council of the Blind, will be going to the ACB Mid-Year Meetings this year. Congratulations to Deb and Teresa. Next, we understand that Heather Davis, Librarian at the Kentucky School for the Blind, is leaving KSB for another job. We wish her all the best. The January School-Based Decision-Making Council meeting, SBDM, was first postponed from January 6, 2015 to January 13, and then, on the 13th, it was announced that the meeting was canceled. The next scheduled meeting of the KSB School-Based Decision-Making Council is Tuesday, February 3, at 4 p.m. at the school. These meetings are open, but we suggest that, if you plan to attend, you call ahead of time to be sure that the meeting is actually taking place. As you heard on last week's Sound Prints, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind has begun two new series of activities in 2015. Tuesday evenings are the Education and Technology Nights, and Fridays are Game and Craft Nights. The Craft Chat, which met on the first Monday of the month throughout 2014, is now part of the Friday Night Fun. The first EdTech night was a great success. 21 people came and went throughout the evening. The evening included a light dinner, a presentation on genealogy and family history, and individual help on smartphones and the Braille note. This coming Tuesday, January 20, Bill Dethridge will be demonstrating his new wave oven. Bill loves new appliances and gadgets for the kitchen, and the new wave is one of his most recent acquisitions from QVC. We'll all be sharing tips and apps for the iPhone and iPad, holding the first meeting of our genealogy hobby group, and, of course, having dinner. At the first game night, 18 participants played cards, shared knitting and crocheting tips, learned more about knitting on a loom, and shared game apps for the iPhone. And, of course, we enjoyed dinner, prepared by Patty Cox. Cake was served for dessert to celebrate January birthdays. To get in on the fun for Tuesdays and Fridays, call us at 502-895-4598. The time for both nights' activities is 5.30 to 8.30 p.m., and all programs are at the United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 State Street in Louisville. $5 gets you dinner and lots of learning and fun. Many of our stories here in Soundprints happen because people share emails or call us with tidbits of news that we think will be of interest to you, the listener. 
To share information with us for possible future features, call us at 895-4598 or email us at kcb at iglu, I-G-L-O-U dot com. 2015 conference and convention information is available for the ACB conference in Dallas. Several people have been calling and asking for some details, so here are some of the basics. The convention dates are July 3 through July 11, 2015 in Dallas, Texas, and the hotel is the Sheridan at 400 North Olive Street in downtown Dallas. The hotel rates are $89 a night, single, double, triple, quad, plus tax. When making your reservations, one night stay will be charged to your credit card. Make telephone reservations by calling the Sheridan at 888-627-8191. Be sure to let them know that you are with the American Council of the Blind Convention so that you receive the special rate. You can also make reservations online by visiting the ACB Convention page at www.acb.org and following the 2015 Convention General Information link. And transportation to Dallas is quick and easy. Dallas is served by two airports, DFW and Love Field. Amtrak, Greyhound, and Megabus all stop within a mile of the hotel. Love Field is closest to the hotel, but DFW Airport sometimes has the best rates since American Airlines is headquartered there. The taxi fare from DFW is about $60 each way. However, Janet Dickelman, ACB Convention Coordinator, has arranged for a special shuttle rate from either Love or DFW to the hotel. Go Yellow Checker is offering ACB a $30 round-trip shuttle service from either airport. For more information, visit the ACB website at www.acb.org. And now for this week's features. Michael Garrett, member of the ACB Board of Directors from Texas and chair of the ACB Scholarship Committee, joins us on page two. He brings details about the many ACB scholarships available to students this year. Learn who is eligible and about the application process, how the winners are selected, the deadlines, and what is expected of scholarship winners. On page three, we bring you a presentation from the 2014 KCB convention. Jenny Tyree, who works with the Kentucky Office for the Blind, tells about the many types of jobs available for blind and visually impaired people today and how she, in her position with OFB, helps to develop those opportunities. Hear what Jenny has to say and discover that things aren't always as simple as they seem to be. Page 4 is the Sound Prince Calendar. Page 2. Our first feature this week is with Michael Garrett. Michael is from Missouri City, Texas. That's really Houston. And he is on the ACB Board of Directors, and he's also chair of the ACB Scholarship Committee. And that's why we're talking with Michael this week, is we're going to be talking about scholarships. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Carla. 
Michael, tell us about the 2015 scholarships. Well, we are excited again this year to provide uh, scholarships for deserving winners. Uh, we have approximately 18 scholarships that will be presented to entering freshmen, undergraduates, graduates, and we have uh, a vocational category. Mm -hmm. That vocational category is, is interesting because oftentimes people don't tend to think of there being scholarships available for people that are in um, vocational type uh, programs that, uh, that I'm assuming would include like technical school and or two-year degrees, things like that? Exactly. Mm -hmm. the, the thought is that if you are able to have a, a substantial uh, workload, 32 hours a week or more, Mm -hmm. and attend school, uh, you deserve some recognition. Absolutely. So, and, and sometimes those scholarships, in particular, but not exclusively, um, and sometimes those scholarships are awarded to people who are not the traditional student age. Those may be people who have been out in the workforce for a while. It's um, not always true, but, but it seems as if over the years that's been the case. Primarily, that is the truth, but we, we find that when we talk about non-traditional students, <laughs> we get a lot of non-traditional students in some of the other categories. In all the other categories, categories too. Interestingly enough, I think what happens is mm -hmm. when, when the onset of blindness happens, a lot of our candidates have had to change fields. They, they may have had uh, expertise in another vocation, but when, when blindness appears, they don't want to give up on life. Mm -hmm. So they, they change fields and they go back to school to get another career. You know, that's a, a really, really good point. Because oftentimes, I think people, in, in that, that group of people, tend to think that their only source of help is the state um, agency uh, the rehab agency that, that helps to send people to school. And I, I think sometimes they don't think in terms of scholarships from groups like ACB. Tell us about the scholarships that are there. Um, are they all uh, scholarships that are just, that are open to anyone who's in any major? Or are there, are there some other, um, other uh, scholarships that are more limited than just a, um, a scholarship for any any um, any major? What we try to do is, is group them in certain categories. We, mm -hmm. uh, For instance, uh, there is a scholarship that is geared toward people in computer science. Mm -hmm. We have scholarships that are geared toward people uh, in the, who, who may want to be in the field of law, mm -hmm. counseling, uh, and then there are those who are just, you know, general studies like you know education or psychology uh, but what it really boils down to is what what kind of student you are what kind of performance you've exhibited in your studies mm -hmm. now for an incoming freshman they're they're still in high school and they may still be 
working on getting accepted into a college. You would you'd hope they'd pretty much know by this time, but but sometimes they they may not. Sometimes it may their attending may be dependent upon getting financial aid from different places or whatever. For an incoming freshman, um, two questions: one, what if they don't have their what if they don't have an acceptance letter from a a college at this point? And the second question would be: what if they don't know what their major is going to be? How 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 does that play into the into the process? The second question is very interesting. <laughs> we <laughs> we usually try to um, put them in a category, but if if there is a, is not a major declared, mm-hmm. we try to go based on what their grade point average is, what their essay looks like. Uh, and 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 we might put them in. Uh, we just might force them into a category, you know, just, <laughs> just because. Sure. But but we we try to the, and the first question about the acceptance letter. We really we really want to have them have a, a, an acceptance letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way, we know that if we give them a scholarship, we know that they're actually going to use it to go to school, they've been accepted. That's sort of, uh, 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 you know, an honor mm-hmm. side. Okay. Of, you, know, mm-hmm. you, you depend on us, we're depending on you to be honest uh, with, 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 uh, with, with your side. We, um, we, we, we have been lenient at times. Some people will say, well, I don't have it yet. I will, and we'll give them, uh, you know, an, uh, an additional amount of time, but they must provide us with something. Before that decision is made. Yes. Yes, okay, all right. And um, the deadline for applying is March 1, so they do have a little time to get that, but even after that, um, there's the, the process of going through the applications and 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 interviewing everyone and so on, so... Um, you know, I can. Uh, uh, anyone who's going to be going to school in the fall should have that acceptance letter by March or April. You would think so, what, right? What we do, good students. <laughs> we 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 cut off the official application uh, process by March one, but we do give them about uh, fifteen days. Mm-hmm. Or, or at least until March 15th, okay. to get additional documentation in. Mm-hmm. Uh, then those scholarships are processed, categorized, and sent out to the committee, and, and we start our interview, interview process uh, usually at the, about the end of April or beginning of May because mm-hmm. we want to make the, the decisions no later than the, the last week of May so we can notify everybody, get travel arrangements made, and we do encourage the, the winners to come to the, the National Conference and Convention and attend all of the events, especially those that are geared towards students. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this year, that is July 3 to the 11th, um, they, they don't have to stay all week, but there have been times that some of them have. And, of course, that's a good thing, too. Um it's in Dallas, and it's going to be a great 
great convention. Um, so when they come to the convention, um, as you said, there are activities that are geared especially for students. There are some specific activities just for scholarship that are for the scholarship winners. And there's also a presentation uh, ceremony that's part of general session on Tuesday of convention week. Let's um, let's talk about the um, the different categories again because I think this this is one thing that at least I hear a lot of questions um, about from people. Sometimes it's just a general membership. It might be someone who's considering applying for a scholarship. Um, we have these categories. We have the entering freshman. Well, that's pretty obvious. That's someone getting out of high school and going into college for the first time, or a person who is who is going to college for the first time but may have been out of high school for a few years. Then we have these the the other um, the other scholarships. If it's a if it's a scholarship for a graduate student, obviously, then they need to be in graduate school, but. When it comes to the other categories, let's say one that's geared toward business or computer programming or whatever, the student, the applicant, does not have to decide, um, as at least it, it used to be, that the applicant doesn't decide which scholarship they're applying for. Is that still the case? That is the case. Yeah, so the committee puts them into the appropriate categories. As, as opposed to them having to figure out which one to apply for. Right. That's why we, we really like to know what their major yes. is. Yeah, yeah. So that we can, we can put them into the categories where they are eligible. Mm -hmm. and, and so since we have different, we didn't talk about the, the variation in, in the scholarship amounts. Okay. Sometimes the major you're in, uh, the scholarship that applies to that category may not be as much as the scholarship that, as a general scholarship. Mm -hmm. We have this uh, we have this uh, category called the uh, Floyd Qualls uh, scholarships, mm -hmm. and uh, each subcommittee plus the subcommittee chairs award one Qualls scholarship ah. and and uh, that scholarship may it may or may not exceed the scholarship that's geared toward uh, let's say business mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so okay. a, 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 an applicant may qualify for more than one scholarship they can only receive one but right they, they may qualify for more than one so they have more chances to win yes Michael tell us about the basic requirements. This is not a grant program. This is a scholarship program. So explain the difference in in that, in the you know, in the GPAs that's required and things like that. Any any student can apply. What we what we ask is they have a GPA of at least three point three, that they be attending full-time that and that they provide uh, all of the documentation from the school uh, a an essay 
at, at least two letters of reference. Uh, and I'm forgetting something. Oh, verification of, of legal blindness. And, and now let me stop there, though. It, it's not necessarily so that you have to be legally blind, but you do have to be visually impaired. We, get, we have gotten a lot of questions about students who are visually impaired, and what we tell them is that if your state agency recognizes that you are visually impaired, you are eligible to, to apply for an ACB scholarship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's the primary uh, criteria that we look at. Well, I think that um, the two things uh, in, in that stand out, well, actually there's three, um, but th- that stand out to, uh, I think when a committee is looking at something um, at applicants and, and you're, you're sifting through, and, and it is a competition because you, you have a number of applicants. First of all, that, that GPA is important. Um, you know, if, if someone applies for a scholarship and they have a 1.9, that's not going to look really good. That's not going to, it's probably not going to hold up too well. Um, but the essay is important. And sometimes I think people don't realize that when they write about themselves, they tend to think everyone knows what there is to know about them. And I have I've often said to to people who you know may not be this particular program, but it, anything it can be the first timers program, um, it can be uh, you know wanting to to go to something else to do something. I say to people, you know this this group of this committee that's considering your application does not know you. They all they know is what's on a piece of paper or what is on your application. In this case, it's whatever is submitted online. And so that essay is their opportunity to introduce themselves to the committee. And since I'm sure you don't interview every single person that you that submits an application, you, you, you interview the top people in each category. Is, is that well, it, it's interesting you, you, you mentioned the GPA mm-hmm. and the essay. Mm-hmm. I, 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 get, I get to look at every application mm-hmm. that comes through. Mm-hmm. I don't have to decide on all of them, but right. I get to look at them. Right. And I saw one the other day that had a 3.0 GPA. <laughs> and, and so I scrolled down to look at the essay. <laughs> and oh, and my goodness, I, huh? <laughs> I was just blown away. Mm-hmm. The expression, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the the delight in reading the essay. And mm-hmm. I, I put it back in the file and I said, well, the committee's going to have to make a choice there. <laughs> yes, yes. On the other hand, you could have a GPA of a 4.0 and a perfectly awful essay, just one that, you know, tells you almost nothing. And you might think twice. Well, what happens... What happens, and, and I've been on this committee for a long time, and it, it never fails. We choose more people than we ha- We narrow it down, and we choose more people than we're going to uh, issue scholarships for, and we interview them. Right. 
and we have a grading system. And invariably, after we interview people, the grading, the, the grade changes. Yes. I, I, I was on the scholarship committee many years ago, and that is so true. Um, the, that essay, first of all, you know, the, the way they present themselves in their application, and that information gets them into that process. But you get somebody on the phone <clears throat> that um, either just goes, you know, just, just uh, it does not present themself, themselves well on the phone. That can take them right out of the mix. Or you can get somebody who's sort of on the cusp, just sort of right there on the edge. And, and on the phone, they're great. And so they come to the top of the heap. We actually had an, an, an experience, and we've had it more than one time, where a, an applicant has won a scholarship, and they reapplied for the next year. You can win uh, up to three times, but this, in this case, the applicant reapplied, came to the top. We called them and interviewed them again, and we and and we stop and we say. How did we issue a scholarship to that one last year? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I remember one time interviewing somebody, and this this is kind of a specific kind of thing, but this I think this points out why some little things can be so important. Um, I was on a, the, a subcommittee that interviewed incoming freshmen, and this was many years ago, many many years ago, and we interviewed one person. And we said, how, one of our questions for everybody that year was, how do you take notes? How do you, how will you keep up with what is presented in the college classroom? And, you know, in the case of people, this was in the days before everybody had a computer. Um, everybody was, the, it, it was fashionable then to tape all the lectures. And some people made notes in Braille or large print, but most people just recorded it, and half the time they didn't listen to the recordings again. That's another issue. But, but anyway, our question was, how do you take notes? And we really felt that our particular subcommittee felt that, you know, incoming freshmen needed at least to be able to make notes that they could read for themselves. And you you could not. I mean, you you just had to be able to communicate at least with yourself. And we get to this one person. And we said, how do you take notes? And this person said, oh, I don't need to take notes. And we said, um, how come? And this was a person with a four-point um, GPA coming out of high school. And the, and the individual said, well, I don't need to take notes. Um, I can just remember it. And if I don't remember it, it's not important. <laughs> so what do you think happened to that application? That was the end of that one, you know? it. it sometimes... Things are. It's important that people ha understand that how they handle the process of school can be important, and um, especially with incoming, especially with incoming freshmen, because they um, they're coming out of a high school situation where they may or may not be um, experiencing what a college classroom is actually going to be like. Well, it, it it also is important 
how they handled this interview process. Too. Yes. Oh, yes. Because, because the people on this on on our committee, some of them are uh, professional educators. Uh, some of them, a lot of them, have worked uh, with uh, students or worked with with uh, consumers because they come from rehabilitation agencies. Mm-hmm. So they are used to hearing people and understanding what's going on with with people. So if you're really sincere about wanting to get an ACB scholarship, it it, it really uh, is important that you present yourself well. Right. Okay. So um, the deadline is March 1. How does a person apply for a scholarship? Go to acb.org and click on the uh, scholarship application. Fill it out and submit it to D. Thien, and uh, it will be taken care of. We'll, we'll look at it. We'll get in touch. We'll be in touch with all of our scholarship applicants. Okay. All right. And so, again, that's acb.org, and all the information, all the instructions are there. Follow those. Don't decide that one part is important and another isn't. And um, you know, get those applications in, and let's have some great scholarship winners in Dallas. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. The Kentucky Council of the Blind and its chapters provide information, advocacy, activities, and telephone support for people who are blind or visually impaired. Join our email list, visit our website, and of course, listen to Soundprints each and every week. To learn more, call us at 502-895-4598, drop us an email at kcb at igloo.com, or visit our website at kentucky-acb.org. Page three. My name is Jenny. Most of you all know who I am. I've worked for the agency about 27, 28 years. And what I want to do today is tell you a little bit about some of the employment opportunities that's going on with the Office for the Blind. Um, currently, um, we have relationships, and that does mean opportunities with um, several different companies. Uh, they range from anywhere from retail to um, distribution to warehouse work to call center work to work with city government and I'm actually also working with city government currently to try to develop a youth program for the summer we're trying to plug into what they already have to offer to help us meet our transition needs so um, and our transition goals um, one of the companies that we're working with now is called teleperformance and some of the people in the audience have already interviewed with this company, and so I want to give them an update as well, so this way they can hear it as well as everybody else. Um, Teleperformance is a company that uh, they've got different locations across the United States. Um, they are accessible in Virginia. They are accessible in Ohio, and hopefully they're going to become accessible in Kentucky. Uh, currently, we have um, one person employed. We've also had three or four other people interviewed. Um, we are trying to complete the interview process. That's hopefully going to occur in the next couple of weeks. And um, hopefully if they can work out the accessibility, which the company is basically handling that. I have actually uh, 
connected with a person out of Columbus who's going to be working with them and who's also done some accessibility compatibility uh, scripting for JAWS for teleperformance in uh, Ohio and they're going to try to actually simulate that here in Kentucky. Um, another company that I'm working with is UPS and right now we've got four people there and uh, of course UPS isn't going to be a spot for everybody obviously. Um, they have overall hired 90 disabled people and right now we've got they've hired probably a total of 10 of our consumers and right now we have four that are currently still working there so again it's not going to be a spot for everybody but it is an opportunity just like anything else um, we've got about four people working for Walgreens right now and um, they're doing actually retail work and we've got two people working at the distribution center in um, Shepherdsville at Best Buy so, you know, we do have people that are working in a lot of different environments and I'll be happy to answer questions related to any of those um, companies or other questions about employment. Um, so, does anybody have any questions? And Jenny? Go ahead. Um, talk a little bit about what it takes for you to develop a technology-related job. Okay. Uh, I don't think people realize that yeah, it's a lot. To be done. Yeah, it's um. Well, first you have to go out and kind of recruit the company, kind of um, explain to the company um, that there's an untapped resource that they need to actually look at, and that would be you know the disabled population, and in our case, visually impaired people. Um, once you do that, then we have to go in and test the software, make sure it's accessible, and this is where it becomes kind of messy. Um, I would say probably maybe four or five years ago, you could go to a lot of different work sites, test some software, and you might, it would work, but there might be some tweaking you had to do. Now, for whatever reason, and I can't answer that exactly, except technology is changing from leaps and bounds, um, and even though there's mandates out there through the OFCCP to try to hire more people with disabilities and recruit more people with disabilities, um, the technology end of it is still really kind of slippery. Um, you know, you go in there, you test JAWS, and anybody that's a screen reader user knows that, you know, if you're doing the internet email, it's fine. But when you start dealing with customized applications, then things start getting very messy. So, um, the biggest issue is once a person is hired and recruited and hired, and they go through the testing process that might be waived or maybe um, accommodated in some way, then you've actually got to tackle the part about making sure the software does work. And that just, it's just, hair pulling, I'll just leave it at that, but it's very complicated and very uh, tenuous. So what I eventually would like to do, which I haven't been able to actually get accomplished yet, is to try to develop some in-home opportunities where it's already accessible and people can actually work out of their homes, but this is going to take a team effort from the agency and I don't know that we're really kind of ready for that yet, but I'm ready to tackle it. Um, I think it would be a really good idea in terms of trying to actually help people that are in rural areas and but it's going to take again that same accessibility piece that we're talking about in the brick and mortar sites as well so um, Carla did that answer the question yes okay any more questions uh, how about the airport um, I actually have dealt with not the airport specifically but I have dealt with um, well we actually did have somebody that worked at the airport that was true um, and we actually accommodated his job, but he wasn't like a uh, 
um, a reservation taker or anything like that. He actually had to check the bags, um, you know, going off the conveyor belt and that kind of thing. So we made accommodations for him. Um, I've actually worked with a couple travel agencies in Louisville, and we actually had a couple people placed there. They were low vision though, and it was Zoom Tech situation. But I'm not I'm not opposed to looking at something like that for future reference. So I have a question. Yep. I just got back in the door, so I don't know if you've already answered this or not. Probably not. Um, there's the teleperformance. Yep. Which I, I just did. Like, yeah, I just okay, answered now, it. What I want to know is, do you have to switch a lot of screens? Yeah. Is it is it yep. lots and lots and lots of screens? So for yeah. someone such as myself, it could get really scary. Well, not you know. Me, not you. Right. Well, but for jobs like that. You know, a lot of call center jobs are not meant for the faint of heart. And so, okay. you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like the humanitarian military thing. There's just a lot of different screens, a That's lot of different environments. Exactly. And, you know, you really want to make sure that it's something that, um, you know, okay. is a All good right. fit. So, um, but it's not even totally accessible yet. They have it accessible in Virginia and Ohio, so we're trying to work that out. Okay. The company is really taking a proactive stance on that, though, by the way. So that's a good thing. I do have one more real quick thing. What do you, um, when you go to a company, and I won't bore the group here, but I was, um, I went to apply for it. I went to a job interview a few weeks ago, and a question was asked about my blindness before I even got back to the interviewer. Totally, totally, totally off, off. That that was totally inappropriate for that. The question is, how does a person handle that? I'm scared. <laughs> well, you know, Libby, we can talk about it off the okay. off the floor, but I've well, already talked. in general purposes. Right. Well, I think you did the right thing by letting us know. I think this is a good point because oftentimes people say, "Should I disclose that I am blind or visually impaired on my job application? When should I disclose?" Or should I just wait and let the employer figure it out? And so from your perspective as um, sending, you know, working with people who are going to be applying, developing those jobs, what, what advice did you have for people related to that? Okay, I typically would not put it in a job application. Typically, I mean, unless there's an odd situation, uh, it's usually one of those things. I usually advise people that's probably not the, the best way to handle it. I usually try to, uh, uh, help people try to prepare a disability statement so they're ready when they go into the interview and I kind of tell them they kind of have to kind of play the interview by ear but at the same time if there does seem a time a uh, logical time to kind of like present it kind of forestall it like bring it up because if the employer has questions you know they can't really bring them up so you don't want them to make a judgment call on something when they don't have all the information so I try to advise people to make a have a heavy general idea of a disability statement. It doesn't have to be anything more formal. It doesn't have to be 15 words or less, or you know, just something to kind of just explain that, you know, um, you might realize that I might have a, a vision issue, or I have, or I'm blind, or whatever the case may be. But I have other tools and techniques that can help me perform the job duties. You know, just something to kind of offset what they might be thinking before they even say, because they legally can't ask, right? So. You don't want to give them the wrong impression or let them walk away with an impression without trying to address it. So that's kind of my stance on it. Um, it's not a hard and fast rule, but that's sort of how I see it. On the job resume, mine says where it wants to know your schooling, it says Kentucky School for the Blind. Right. Well, in that case, you know, so, you got to put what you got. Can it be changed? I mean, not saying it live, but simply don't say it at all. Or what? I, I, you know, you have to, you know, you have to put down where you went to school. I mean, if it's asking, you know, you just. Okay. Well, it doesn't 
though you could just put KSB or BSK or I mean you know you could I don't know just put down the truth okay just just put the truth down I don't know so but so that was a joke don't really mix it up like that but anyway. Hi, my name is Katie, and I'm from Ohio. Hey, Katie. I wanted to make a couple of comments. First of all, regarding teleperformance, in Columbus, we do have a large operation of people who are blind and visually impaired who work there. So um, I don't know if you have contacts there or, or if I could help. I do. I okay. have, um, you know, Mark Tadella? I don't. I don't work there. I just okay. know a lot of people who are employed yeah, there. Yeah, well, that's, so. um, that's the guy who's actually done some scripting for them. Okay. And um, he's going to do, I think, some for Kentucky. So. Okay. And then but yeah, if I need any help, I'm, I'm sure might use you as a resource if that's okay. Okay, sure. And then my other comment was regarding the interview situation. What I have done in the past when I was looking for work is I would not disclose, other than you know what was on my resume regarding ACB volunteer work or whatever. But when I went to the interview, I mean, of course, I'm walking in with my guide dog, so right. I obviously have a disability. But something else I also did was I took my laptop with me with JAWS. And so that way, if a situation did come up, I could demonstrate, you know, yes, I am blind and I have this disability, but look, right. here's what I can do on the computer. And that's, and that's another technique that um, we were talking to um, the boot camp people about when we had our class a couple weeks ago about maybe just bringing a note taker or, you know, you don't have to bring everything you own, but, you know, something so that in case, you know, they do have a question, you can kind of like, yes. you know, pull it out there and just say, hey, you know, but this is how I can take notes or this is how I can use a computer, that kind of thing. Right. Well, you just have to kind of play those things kind of by ear. Um, any other questions? No? Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free of charge Louis database http colon slash slash l-o-u-i-s dot a-p-h dot org locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies a-p-h products and textbooks can also be located using louis new extended searching now available with free louis plus visit soon http colon slash slash l-o-u-i-s dot a-p-h dot org Many book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's mini book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the mini book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind, toll free, 800-223-1839 or visit www.aph.org. Page 4. The SoundPrints Calendar. Unless otherwise indicated, you can join conference calls listed on this calendar by dialing 267-507-0400 and entering code 294444. Bluegrass Council of the Blind Activities are held at the BCB office located at 1093 South Broadway, Suite 1230 in Lexington. You do need to register for BCB events and activities. Their phone number is 859-259-1834. Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Activities, unless otherwise indicated, are held at the United Crescent Hill Ministries, located at 150 South State Street in Louisville. Please register for GLCB events by calling us at 502-895-4598.
On January 20, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its next Education and Technology Night from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Doors open at 5 p.m. at UCHM. The cost is $5 per person, and this includes dinner as well as all activities. On January 20, you will meet the new Wave Oven. It will be demonstrated by Bill Dethridge. We'll continue our genealogy group. We'll have tech tips, including iPhone, and lots of other activities. For more information and sign up, call 502-895-4598. On January 22, the advisory board for the McDowell Center will meet at the Charles McDowell Center, 8412 Westport Road in Louisville. This meeting will be held in the afternoon. For more information, including time and specific agenda, contact Steve Dealey, Center Manager, at 502-429-4460. On January 23, the Statewide Rehabilitation Council for the Office for the Blind will hold its quarterly meeting from 9.30 a.m. to approximately 2.30 p.m. This meeting is held at the Charles McDowell Center on Westport Road in Louisville. For more information, contact Jennifer Wright at 502-564-4754. On January 23, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its next game night and craft chat, 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Doors open at 5 at the United Crescent Hill Ministries. It's $5 per person. That includes dinner. We'll be playing cards, dice games, table games, and also you'll have a chance to learn a new craft or just share crafts and patterns with others. Sign up by giving GLCB a call. On January 24, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind is going out to dinner. 4.30 to 7 p.m. at the El Nepal Restaurant at the Ramada Inn, 1041 Zorn Avenue. We need for you to call us and sign up ahead of time so we can tell the restaurant how many people will be on hand for this event. When making your talk rides for El Nepal, make your ride to the Ramada Inn. Again, that address is 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. On January 25, Sunday evening, ACB Families will hold its next monthly conference call with a special program on investing for the future. This activity is at 9 p.m., and everyone is cordially invited to attend. January 26 is the next Guide Dog Users of Kentucky membership call, 7 p.m. on the conference line. Remember that this is a date change. GDUKY is now meeting on the fourth Monday at 7 instead of the fourth Tuesday. On January 27, Demonstrating assistive technology and accessibility training will be taking place at the Bluegrass Council of the Blind from 5 to 6 p.m. Call Bluegrass for more information and to sign up. Also on January 27 will be the next GLCB EdTech Night. This night will feature technology and will be from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. January 28 is the Bluegrass Council of the Blind VIP meeting from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office in Lexington. The program will be presented by Barbara Pentagor, director of the Kentucky Talking Book Library. RSVP is required. This activity includes lunch. 
Also, Wheels Passes are available to those who need them. Be sure to call Bluegrass Council for more information. On January 30, GLCB will hold its next Games and Crafts Night from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. at UCHM. In February, we have the following activities. February 1 is the next GLCB Committee Meeting Night. We remind you that all GLCB committees now meet on the first Sunday of the month. Advocacy meets at 7 p.m., Education and Technology at 8 p.m., and Activities at 9 p.m. All meet on the conference line. On February 3, the Kentucky School for the Blind is scheduled to hold its next school-based decision-making council meeting. The meeting is at 4 p.m. at KSB 1867 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. We do urge you to call ahead to make sure this meeting is happening as they have been rescheduled several times in the past. The number for the school is 502-897-1583. Also, GLCB will hold its Tuesday EdTech Night. On February 4, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its next PR and Membership Committee meeting at 8 p.m. on the conference line. On February 5 is the retirement celebration at the American Printing House for the Blind for Mitzi Friedlander. We told you about this special event last week, and this is a reminder that you need to register by February 1 and then join APH to celebrate the accomplishments of this renowned narrator for providing over a half century of service. 5.30 to 7 p.m. at the Printing House, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. So be sure to register by calling APH at 502-895-2405. On February 5, the American Council of Blind Lions will hold its next conference call meeting. The number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On February 6 is another demonstrating assistive technology and accessibility training at the Bluegrass Council, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. in Lexington. Call for more details. On February 6 will be the next GLCB Games and Crafts Night at UCHM. And on February 7, the American Printing House for the Blind invites you to their Crafting Tactile Valentines Gifts and Cards. 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Learn to craft cards, jewelry, and gifts for your valentine from tactile materials. Leave with a completed project and the knowledge to complete many more. It's free, but there's limited space. This is appropriate for adults and children. So call to register, 502-899-2213. Later that day, on February 7. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind and the KCB Next Generation are holding a quarterly workshop meeting and spaghetti dinner. 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. The bargain table opens at 1. It's at UCHM. And there will be a program on how to be an effective advocate with lots of role play and information. Tips on how to get to yes. There will also be a short GLCB meeting and then the spaghetti dinner. Call 502-895-4598 to register. On February 8, the Tri-State Library users and Guide Dog users of Kentucky team up to hold a great conference call on Doggy Tales. 
Share your favorite books and stories about dogs. 8 p.m. on the conference line. On February 10, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold its next board meeting from 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. at their office in Lexington. On February 10, the Support Alliance for the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have its next meeting in Owensboro, 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. Make friends, share ideas, and information. It's held at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro, and you can call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 for more information. And, of course, on February 10, GLCB will hold another Education and Technology Night. On February 12, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its February meeting by conference call at 7 p.m. The call-in number is 605-475-4700. Enter code 155-619. If you'd like more information about the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind, contact Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. On February 13, GLCB will hold its monthly bingo at UCHM. On February 14, the GLCB board meeting will be at 11 a.m. on the conference line. On February 15, the KSB Alumni Board will meet at 8 p.m. on the conference line. And on February 16, the KCB board meeting for February will be at 8 p.m. also on the conference line. On February 19, the Kentucky Regional Braille Challenge will be held at the Kentucky School for the Blind the Braille Challenge is co-sponsored by KSB and the American Printing House for the Blind, and it's open to students throughout the state of Kentucky. For more information, call KSB at 502-897-1583. On February 21 through 24 is the ACB Mid-Year Meeting, Affiliate President's Meeting, and Legislative Seminar in Arlington, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., the ACB board meeting is Saturday, February 21, beginning at 9 a.m. The President's meeting is Sunday, February 22, beginning at 9 a.m. The Legislative Seminar is Monday, February 23, at 9 a.m. And Capitol Hill Day is February 24. These activities are all held at the Holiday Inn in Arlington, and they are open to anyone who wishes to attend. Let's see. Let's see. These activities are all held at the Holiday Inn in Arlington, Virginia. For more information, call the ACB National Office at 202-467-5081. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or need information on resources for people with vision loss, Call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at igloo.com. 
Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.